0: Welcome to Stories of Scotland, a podcast that looks at an obscure selection of Scottish
1: heritage and culture. I'm Jenny and I'm Annie and in this episode we're getting truly obscure and taking a look at nautical witches, sea witches and witches of the coasts. We're going to look at these sea witches in folklore and mythology but we'll also go into some of the real history of women who were persecuted for watery witchcraft.
0: And we see witches being connected to rivers, lochs and seas in lots of folklore. Bodies of water are drenched in superstition. Water is vital for witchcraft and the base of every potion, be it a deadly potion or a healing elixir. However, it can also be used against witches and protect mortals from their supernatural habits.
1: Yes. So the protective powers of water are related to the holy water that's used in baptism. Now, this is going back to biblical references of baptisms taking places in rivers, often after some kind of holy miracle. And so there becomes a certain divinity that's associated with bodies running water. And now this spills over into folklore, where we're seeing witches who were believed to be in cahoots with the devil himself are unable to cross over running water.
0: Ah, so this is like in the Burns poem, Tam O'Shanter. Tam O'Shanter is an epic Scots poem, which tells the tale of Tam, who is out drinking till late with his pals. Alas, eventually he must ride home to his raging wife. But first he has to ride through a raging storm and pass by a haunted kirk on his way. And what does he see happening in the graveyard of this kirk but a huge rager of a party going on? The curse, Kayleigh, was led by the devil himself, along with demons and sinners and, of course, dancing witches. While watching one particular short-skirted witch dance, Tam can't contain himself and ends up yelling in approval, only for this to backfire and every demon and witch to turn and stare at him, and for the short-skirted witch to chase him and his fine mare Meg through the woods. Tam only just manages to evade capture when faithful Meg leaps a running river over which the witch chasing him was unable to cross.
1: Yes, and that's why catcalling is bad. <laughs> but thanks to this babbling burn, Tam only just escapes the clutches of their pursuing witch. But unfortunately, his poor horse Meg is not so lucky and she loses her tail at the end of the poem because the witch has snatched it from her as she leaps across the bridge and it just detaches as though it's a doll part. Ah, oh, he's having a mare!
0: Well, (laughs) at least Tam certainly had quite the tale to tell.
1: Yes, and luckily we've got plenty of excellent tales coming up. So let's begin by having a look at some of the genuine history of an unfortunate woman accused of witchcraft. So we're going to be heading back to the 17th century When Scotland is in the thralls of superstition about supernatural and satanic forces, the year is 1644 and Marian Peebles, also known as Marian Pardon, is living in Hillswick, Shetland. She's about to face a dreadful and harrowing ordeal because Marion Peebles is accused of witchcraft. Ah, oh,
0: poor Marion Peebles, a.k.a. Marion Pardone. Do you reckon that was her? She was like, oh, you know, Peebles just doesn't have that witchy ring to it. You know, I just really want something that hits hard and lets them know what I'm about. Marion Pardone. Well, what would you go for? Uh, Jenny Toad Snatcher. And what would I be? You'd
1: be Annie Brumandel. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. Fair that you get to be a toad snatcher and i have to be a broom handle i think
0: you know these are all valid parts of the witch's (laughs) skill (laughs) set so what exactly is it that marion potion peddler is accused of doing
1: well i've actually got a list of the alleged crimes of marion peebles from her (laughs) trial so do you want to read a couple of these out You are accused
0: of practising the fearful and damnable craft of witchcraft, sorcery and charming, in the manner following. By your wicked, devilish and malicious act of witchcraft, you did cast sickness upon Janet Robertson, who immediately, upon your departure, fell in an extraordinary and unkindly illness and lay eight weeks taken shivers and pains by fits at midday and midnight, and was most terribly tormented. And thereafter, he sent her a
1: cheese. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> this is a genuine trial where this real woman, Marion Peoples, was sentenced for witchcraft because she sent a cheese <laughs> to a sick woman named Janet. The cheek of it. She's only going to sent me that wheel of cheddar when she darn well knows
0: my favourite is that fancy smoked sausage one for the cheese money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe it wasn't her favourite cheese for the cheese board. Who knows? But in the trial, it tells us that it was the cheese the size of a loaf. So it was a really considerable cheese. Right, she was just being kind. And Marion would have made that cheese by hand, you know, there wasn't really a cheese manny back maybe she, then.
0: Maybe she just wasn't very good at making cheese. <laughs> Everyone's like, ugh, no, that's that stinky stuffy France.
1: <laughs> no, that's, that's definitely not what was happening. Um, but no matter how sick she was, Janet was refusing to eat Marion's cheese. And then, apparently, because of Janet's great self-discipline when it comes to dairy and her magical cheese refusal, (laughs) Janet immediately broke the curse of her sickness, which she claims Marion had put upon her. Okay. However, she makes the allegation that the disease passed from herself over to her two cows and then her cows died.
0: Well, you know what they say, Annie. A minute on the lips and an eternity in hellish damnation and torment. For your cows? That makes (laughs) no sense at all. All right, this all seems a bit cheesy, but what's fishy about it? What does it have to do with the sea?
1: Well, being from Shetland, the trial of Marian peoples frequently mentions the coast and the sea. For example, Marian was accused of souring and ruining malt that was being brewed by a man named Edward Halcross. And then she implanted in his mind the idea to go and get the seaweed at a dangerous, narrow creek with high rocks, and then...
0: By your wicked and devilish act of witchcraft made stones loosen and fall down with him, whereby his life was in great peril, yet saved to the admiration of all beholders. Wait, so she sent a man to go and get some slippery seaweed? That's... Hardly so bad. Seaweed has plenty of fibre.
1: Well, yes. Remember Seaweed Edward because he pops up later. See,
0: that's a good wizard
1: name. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the trial goes into accusations relating mostly to cows and illness of people. Lots of people either getting water or blood from their cows instead of milk. Now, one woman had accused Marion of cursing her with a tormenting madness and was advised to bite Marion's fingers for a cure. So she actually bit two of Marion's fingers until they bled. Uh. But then the most shocking and deadly allegation against Marion Peebles is one that she actually has gone out into the sea as a shapeshifter. By your detestable, abominable and devilish
0: act of witchcraft, ye transformed into the likeness of a pellet quail. A what?
1: A uh, porpoise, a small whale that is closely related to a dolphin.
0: Okay, a pelic quahail. Interesting.
1: A uh, pelic whale,
0: I think. Oh, okay. It's just
1: spelt with the Q U H.
0: Really mix up that W. <laughs> the devil changed your spirit into a porpoise and you fled as a whale. And Edward Halcross, being at sea with Malcolm Smith, Nickel Smith, and Finland, servant to Edward. All four men in one boat coming frae the sea in the north banks of Hillswick. One fair morning ye did come under the said boat and overturned her with ease and drowned and devoured them all in the sea right at the shore when there was nae danger otherwise nor hazard to have casten them away. Likewise, when the corpse of Edward was found, you were sent for and brought to them and to lay your hands upon them, days after the death, where their blood was vanished and dissolved. So
1: this description of the trial is telling us that the corpses of these four fishermen were recovered and then they summoned Marion Peebles to lay her hands upon the corpses. And when she did so, they began to bleed, which really wouldn't happen because blood thickens and clots after death. The most you'd get is a small ooze, but it doesn't make sense that this would happen when Marion is touching the bodies. The corpse of Edward bled at the collarbone and in the hands and fingers, gushing out blood, to the great
0: admiration of beholders and revelation of the judgment of the Almighty.
1: Yes, this was actually quite a common way of finding out who had killed a person to get them to lay their hands upon them. If that corpse starts to ooze blood then you've got a murderer in your midst. Doesn't seem like a very reliable
0: way to check who killed who. Like, if it was very good, we'd still use it today.
1: (laughs) Yes, this is why the old touch and bleed is no longer part of the Scottish legal system.
0: Mm, Interesting.
1: Um, So she's being accused of using witchcraft to cause the death of four men fishing at sea. And they're saying that the evidence is that the corpses are bleeding at her touch. Now, it's a really dramatic and unusual witchcraft case. Likely, it was a community coming together to explain their personal tragedies and persecute a woman that they didn't like. It's
0: because she was bad at making cheese. That's what you get.
1: We then go into the sentencing of Marion Peebles. Death by cheese wheel? No, Jenny, just read the trial.
0: <laughs> the judge adjudged the panels to be taken by the lockmen to the place of execution to the west hill of Berry, and there, right at the one stake and burnt in the ashes, betwixt one and two in the afternoon.
1: So there's no ambiguity here that Marion Peebles was burnt at the stake until she became ash. <sighs> we think that this hill west of Burnie is now known as gallow Hill, which is a fitting name for a hill of executions.
0: Well, what's interesting is I've looked at some old maps for this Gallow Hill and it seems to be a lot of them in Shetland, maybe a dozen or so. And that seems like a lot of killing hills for a small group of islands.
1: Yes, so the Gallow Hill that is west of Berry Hill is just overlooking Scalloway.
0: Ah, well, at least you had excellent views of the town from up there.
1: Well, perhaps not an excellent view for poor Marian peoples. Now, what I find really difficult when looking at the history of people accused of witchcraft is that usually the only information we have about them is what came up in their trial. Because the 17th century doesn't have census records or civil registration of birth, marriage and death records, we only really know about the lives of everyday people when they either come into trouble with the law, or if their names appear in rent books, occupational records, if they've disputed land, or perhaps if someone emigrates, we can get records of them. But it means that all we know about Marian Peebles is the account of her witchcraft trial, which actually says much less about her, and more about the community of Shetland and their superstitions and beliefs in the 17th century and their conspiracy to execute her on this hill. These fit into broader witchcraft trials across Scotland and Europe.
0: Well, when she wasn't a porpoise, what would her life have been like?
1: No, no, she wasn't a porpoise, Jenny. This is the point. ha! ha Marion Blowhole begs to differ. Jenny, Marion <laughs> Peebles would have had a simple and rural life, with a husband named Sween. It's unlikely that she would have left Shetland, mainland, as she had no need to. She would have worked a small piece of land to grow her crops. She had cows which she would have milked, made butter and cheese. Bad no, cheese. not <laughs> witchcraft devil cheese, but just normal cheese.
0: Maybe it was just like substandard cheese.
1: <laughs> she would have gone to church every Sunday. However, one of the investigators on her trial was actually a Shetland minister. So perhaps the ministers of the island didn't like her very much. Or her cheese. Her husband would have likely worked in fishing, and perhaps marion people's liked animals, as she's mentioned in the trial as having crows fly around her, but this could just be another metaphor of superstition.
0: Yeah, her familiars, speaking in bird tongues to the devil, doing her bidding all over the island.
1: Well... No, likely, if there were any crows and they weren't just in the imagination of the islanders, they would probably have just been looking for a snack.
0: Well, there's plenty of cursed cheese in the larder. <laughs> Jenny,
1: <laughs> But this is an interesting case because it tells us a lot about the superstitions of Shetland, which are entwined with the life between land and sea, cows grazing on the pastures and porpoises swimming out on the waves. <laughs> But when we look at the cases of real people burned to death for witchcraft, it's really hard to find meaning or justice in their stories. We can perhaps take the story of Marian peoples as a reminder to be kind to the most vulnerable people in our little worlds when we can be.
0: Even if their cheese is below average standard for Hills Week. And we should also be fair to porpoises and mammals and crows. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Was that a crow noise?
0: <laughs> yes, I guess it was. <laughs> My favourite sea witch that we've found is that of the Kayak of Aaron. She was said to live at the north of the small yet rugged island of Aaron, between two peaks of a double-headed mountain.
1: Yes. And one of the peaks of this mountain is actually called Caimna known in English as the Witch's Step.
0: And it was called this for good reason. For the witch would perch up here watching the boats pass between the mainland and Arran in the waters of the Firth of Clyde. Here she would sit until her stomach began to rumble. But this huge hunger couldn't be satisfied with some warm porridge nor haggis, neeps and tatties. No, the only thing that would satisfy this witch was the flesh of a man.
1: <laughs> I didn't know that witches liked her, is and he, Dice? Well, I
0: don't know, everyone's different, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> and when this insatiable hunger would strike, she would straddle the Firth, one foot in Ayrshire, one foot on Arran. When the next unwitting ship passed below her, she would drop a huge stone from way on high, smashing the boat into thousands of stinking shards. From the wreckage, she would pluck the screaming sailors. On one such occasion, the witch had some serious munchies and was busy destroying a ship. A French skipper watched from afar in horror, for he was heading right for her. But he fancied he knew exactly how to defeat this formidable foe. With his expert skill and knowledge as both a skipper and a Frenchman, he manoeuvred the boat so that its mast was at just the right angle, so that as he passed under the wide-legged witch, he tickled her, in just the right spot
1: (laughs) so Jenny I believe that when we read the story originally the French sailor tickled the witch where a Frenchman would tickle a woman (laughs) which clearly means behind the knee Uh he tickled the witch behind the knee Jenny Mm -hmm. behind my knees very tickly and my name is Annie Broomhandle I know how it goes (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. either way Annie it worked The witch shrieked in a way that even the Frenchman had never heard before, throwing her stone high up into the air, only for it to crash down just south of Arran and create the small isle of Ailsa Craig, which may be the best origin story of a small island that I have ever heard. And in fact, I never want to hear a better one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really believe this story when we first uncovered it. But then I realised that these types of folklore tales were actually censored from history. Exactly.
0: These somewhat vulgar tales used to be very common throughout Scottish storytelling culture. However, most were banned by ministers as no being right. And isn't that what this podcast is for, Annie? Going into these obscure and hidden corners of history to find these snippets of humour and cultural profiling from the past.
1: Yes, I really love this story because I can imagine it being told by sailors and fishers of all ages to shock and entertain one another. (laughs) I mean, the mere idea of tickling a giant witch to prevent her from sinking your ship and eating your bones is just so silly and smutty. (laughs) It feels like a genuine rum-soaked, sea-air kind of story, told one night in the belly of a boat, a shared cabin, a bottle being passed around, and a really good laugh.
0: Yes, and just like
1: sailors would
0: use lemons to prevent scurvy, this story is a kind of vitamin C of good humour. It's a good old tale of tickling the kayak that keeps up morale on a dark, cold night. And there's nothing like a tickle to keep you warm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The next tale is coming from an oral history of Brucey Henderson, a well-known storyteller from Shetland. He was born at the end of the 1800s and remembered the old superstitions well and fondly. They brought magic to the island of Yale. Brucey has a rich Scots thick accent of the island, like porridge that's not got enough water in it, <laughs> the type of Scots that's melted in with a few odd Norse words.
0: I found his accent so thick that I had to listen a few times through to fully understand the story. And by the end, I found myself in this sort of hypnotised duam. There's a background beat to how he speaks. It's, it's very rhythmic and soothing. The story that he tells begins with a young woman named Marta Mann. She was a bonny witch and was in love with a man named Andrew Grote. Unfortunately, though, Andrew, he wouldn't hear. He wouldn't go with her and she really wanted him. <laughs> Yes, so it was a one sided love. Unfortunately, it was. And what better way to deal with unrequited love than with unrequited witchcraft?
1: Oh dear. <laughs> so, this lad, Andrew Grote, was a half fisherman. What happened to the other half of him? Did a <laughs> poor boy seize it? <laughs> Jenny, a half fisherman is a fisherman who'd go out on a wee open boat for deep sea fishing. Mm. It was a dangerous and treacherous life at the half. But as the story goes, one night it was lovely and calm. The sea was quiet and at peace. But Andrew wasn't scheduled to be going out fishing. He was planning a peaceful night by the peat fire with a wee dram. But his plans changed.
0: Fisherman Andrew heard
1: that an old,
0: respected skipper in the village was due to go out on the sea, but he was a man down. So Andrew joined the crew and they set out on the gentle ocean in the hopes of catching a bounty of fish. The skipper was a pious and religious man who believed God would protect them at sea. And so he sanctified the sea around them.
1: However, as the skipper blessed the ocean with his fishing rod, a huge wave rose in front of them. And from this wave reared out our rejected witch in the form of a furious flayed ox. (sighs) This nightmarish vision demanded that the skipper hand over Andrew Grote. It was clear what her intention was if her demand was refused, to use her giant ox hooves to destroy the boat and kill the men in it. However... The skipper was fast
0: thinking and jabbed the flailed ox apparition in the foot with his big fish gaff. That's a big pointy hook, Annie. And the ox quickly found this out too. It was extremely painful and in agony the ox witch vanished. The brave sailors continued onwards and secured a great deal of fishes and returned to the coast celebrating. As they stepped onto shore the old skipper pulled the lad aside and warned him not to go out on the waves without him again.
1: And the crew noticed as they came into shore the young scorned witch lying by the sea with a broken leg, claiming that she had simply fallen in a terrible accident. Mm-hmm. But the fishers were all certain that she had been this ghostly ox, this giant bull that they had seen out at sea. They left her there and foolishly thought that their fish gaffs would protect them from this witch forever.
0: However, this was not so. Two years then passed, and the witch Marta had only grown more powerful. The old skipper had retired, and our young half-fisher is now the skipper of his own half-boat. One calm night, he sets out to sea, and lo and behold, the same apparition of the ox rears out of the water and demands that the crew throw her, the skipper, overboard. But they all staunchly refuse, saying that they'd all rather die than hand over their skipper. And so... This colossal water ox summoned the sea to stampede the half-boat. None of the men were ever seen again.
1: Strangely, though, our witch then makes peace with the sea and ends up marrying a different ship's captain anyway.
0: (laughs) Well, you wouldn't want to say no after this story, would you? (laughs) But I did find a continuation of this story from a different storyteller. As it goes, the young fisherman who she had killed had not made peace with the sea or with her. That winter, as the nights grew longer, the ghostly apparition of the boat would be seen sailing endlessly around the coast of Yale, terrifying all who saw it. Yet those who were brave enough to shout from the shore and ask them what it is that they want found that the souls of the men were unable to reply. That is, until the son of one of the oldest men on Yale, Francis Smillet, came in from the stables one night, fresh for fainting, saying that there were six souls in the stables waiting for his father. So, old Francis hobbled out and he met the lost souls. He first counted only five men, and he asked where the sixth was, only for a ghost dog to growl from below his knee.
1: Oh, there was a ghost doggy with them. Yeah, a ghost
0: dog. It's a ghost's best friend. (laughs) (laughs) Here, the ghost set about interrogating him on some very important topics. They asked him, is a crow black or white? He replied, it's black. They asked, is the tide ebbing or flowing? And he said, it was flowing. Is the moon waning or growing? And the moon was growing. After he answered their questions, they finally told him why they were there.
1: It's strange. It's like they, they wanted to give him a riddle, but instead they just asked him some, some questions about the natural landscape. I
0: feel like with a the riddle, there was a chance that he'd get it wrong, so they wouldn't be able to continue. But with these very easy questions, it's like, all right, mate, let's, let's get the pantomime over with and see why we're here. Which is exactly what they do. They say to him, we are here as you have been a sinner through all of your life. This one time, you charged a widow three times too much for a bushel of corn. And when you were in the war, you would rob all of the deed soldiers as they lay on the battlefield. And don't forget that one time, right, that you charged that widow three times too much for a bushel of corn. <laughs> Plus all the dead folks, but mainly the corn. <laughs> <laughs> they really repeated the corn. Well, you don't overcharge a widow for the corn. You also don't (laughs) steal things from dead soldiers, but it's mainly the corn. (laughs) (laughs) And so for all your bad, we must tell you our story. And they told him of the witch and the ox and finally unburdened of the curse of their death. They begin to laugh and cheer and walked away, fading into nothingness. Now the old man stood there in shock, burdened by this heavy tale. Suddenly he could stand no longer and he collapsed and was swallowed by a burning black fire. The end.
1: Wow. So (laughs) the ghosts just had to tell someone their tale before they could leave this earth and they chose to tell an old man with a checkered past.
0: Very checkered. Don't forget those bushels of corn, Annie.
1: (laughs) See, I thought what he did during the war was worse. So
0: much worse, that's the thing. But they're like, that corn that one time. (laughs)
1: It does teach us not to overcharge widows or else we become so overburdened with tales from ghosts mm-hmm. that it can possibly kill us.
0: Yep, that's what I learned from this one. Don't you be overcharging those widows. <laughs> ever. But I do, I do think it's interesting that they chose to tell him. Is it because he was already so old and the closest to death? So he was like the... The closest link to their world, almost. Or was he the closest to the devil for that overcharging a widow, Malarkey? (laughs) (laughs) Or did they know that he deserved to be burdened with this information, knowing what telling their tale would do to him?
1: I'm not sure we'll ever know on this piece of folklore, Jenny. <laughs> but the tale that the ghost told of Marta Mann, the Sea Witch Ox, survived and has been passed down and retold and reimagined over generations. No,
0: I choose to believe it happened exactly as it is told by this man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so maybe he didn't die quite so quickly because he was clearly able to pass on this story and be the first person to tell the truth of the Witch of Yael. What happened to old Marta after this? She married a ship's captain. Wow, so she managed to get away with it all. Well, she was just a figment of folklore, Jenny. That's why.
0: Interesting take on the whole story, Annie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I think that the stories of witches and waves actually tell us as much about the coastal communities themselves as they tell us about supernatural superstitions. Similar to folklore about mermaids, the fascination with otherworldly women in the ocean is perhaps stemming from the nature of the fishing industry in history. Now in the past the men would be going out to sea on the boats and women would be staying on the coast and cleaning, gutting, processing fish and mending the nets. So for the fishers of the past The woman stayed on the land, but these feminine myths and legends came out over the deep ocean with them.
0: Part of what has been strange was reading the tale of poor Marion Peebles, burnt for witchcraft, and then seeing how many of the threads of superstition in her real life wove into the folklore.
1: Yes, it seems to start with something very everyday, like the agriculture or fishing work. And then a sick cow or an accident at sea can grow into an accusation, or in a nicer community, a fireside tale, depending on which century you're in. And then the
0: environment that the people lived in also influenced these stories, grounded in Gaelic roots that have giant deities shaping the landscape. I was so happy when we found the Witch of Arran, because of course the West Coast needs a giant-sized witch for their giant-sized storms. And also, we see these superstitions used as a way to explain and understand the trauma of death and the power of nature. Men going out on half boats and then never being seen again, with with no explanation or answers for the family and the loved ones waiting for them to come home. It's often easier to cast this blame upon some innocent person that you just might not get along with, than live with the constant unanswered questions of their deaths.
1: See, I think that's funny because I think that building up mythology like witchcraft into legal systems actually creates so many more unanswered questions <laughs> than it does answer them. I feel like there's, there's quick answers and long-term uncertainties. <laughs> and the quick answer involves burning poor Marion. Well, there's such things as a quick fix and then a burnt witch. And she's not a witch. And this is (laughs) the whole point. Mythology becomes an emotional and psychological response to the environment. And it's always these poor women that suffer when it bubbles up and is allowed to seep into a legal system. And in this case, witchcraft isn't really representative of incredible power, but rather the opposite. The witch reminds us of our vulnerability and dependence on nature.
0: And sometimes the witch is just a whiskey-fueled tale at sea.
1: Yes, indeed. That was definitely my favourite one. Ah, we all love a tickle, that, eh? <laughs> Well, on that note, my dear sea dog, let's go and grab a wee dram. Yes. Thank you all so much for listening to Stories of Scotland. We've particularly loved making this episode. <laughs> we
0: hope it tickled you. <laughs> <laughs> If you've enjoyed it, then please give us a little review. It really helps other people find us. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so give us a like and a follow.
1: In your review, please let us know where you would tickle a witch. Or don't, actually. That might not be allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Slangeva! Slangeva!
0: Enter noise here.
1: Caw. 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 Ooh, that was better. Caw. <laughs> <laughs> Good noise, Danny. <laughs>